Hello, and welcome to The Verge Podcast, a part of the college and career ministry at First Baptist Dallas. I'm Kyle Wilson, and it's a pleasure to be a part of your day. I want to personally invite you to join us at our college and career ministry any Sunday at 9.15 a.m. or Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For more information, check out firstdallas.org college. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday teachings, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, let's do it. All right, well, we are in the fourth week of the book of James. Guys, It is we're like halfway through the book, and it seems like we have just started. And I don't know about you, but going through this book with you guys has even been challenging for me in the way that I view my faith and the way that I live my life. So I hope this has been a challenge, but also an encouragement to you as we've been walking through the book of James. We're going to start out this morning in the first part of chapter 3, but before we dive into that, let's just get a little bit of background, whether this is your first week joining us or you've been trailing along with us, it's good just to remember kind of where we're set in the book of James. Uh, This book, of course, was written by the half-brother of Jesus, and he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which is this first Christian community that began. And uh, Peter uh, had helped found this church, he had helped lead this church, and now he has gone off to start new churches, and James becomes the leader of this community. And he was in this position for 20 years. And during this time, he guided the church through famine, through poverty, through persecution, all different sorts of hardships. And so really what becomes of this book is that it becomes James's legacy of wisdom. Now, a couple of things that we do want to note while we go through this book is first, while it is technically an epistle or a letter, it is not like Paul's letters to a specific community like the church in Corinth or the church in Ephesus, uh, where he's addressing specific problems. Rather, He is writing to what he calls in chapter 1, the 12 tribes in dispersion. This is the believers who have scattered out from Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen, which you can read that account in the book of Acts. This is one of the reasons why this book is so powerful, because it's challenging and encouraging to any and every community of faith, both in the past and the present. It has general wisdom and general life affirmations of who Jesus is that we can apply to uh, our very existence right now. Uh, The other thing to note that we should go through is that this book doesn't teach new theology. Rather, it seeks to challenge both uh, how the Christian reading it lives and how they live actively, not just live passively going day to day, but actually how they go out and live like Jesus, being the hands and feet of Christ everywhere they go. The main goal of this book is that followers of Christ will become truly wise by living out Jesus' summary of the scriptures, which is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we've been going through this book, and in chapter 1, over the past couple weeks, what we saw was a thousand-foot view of where James is going to take us through the rest of the book. And he kind of gives us a roadmap of things that we're going to be covering. And last week, we went through chapter 2, which was uh, talking about favoritism, where we can't show partiality or favoritism towards certain people within our community or certain people throughout the world, because what we do when we communicate favoritism is that Jesus has a type and you're not that type. And so James uh, warns the church, saying that, no, we cannot show favoritism. We need to show grace and love to everyone and serve everyone, which goes hand in hand with the second message in chapter 2, which is that we have to show that we believe what we believe by the way that we live, by the way that we act, that we show our faith 
by our works. Not that works save us, but rather works help us prove to ourselves and to the world around us that what we say is actually what we believe and how we let, live that out. And so um, James here kind of continues the same line of thinking as he enters into chapter 3. What he shows is that um, not only do we show our faith by our works, but also by our words. And so let's just go ahead and jump in. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We'll be going to verse 12 today, so pretty sh uh, short section. But uh, let's just go ahead and jump right in. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a mature man who is also able to control his whole body. Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We also guide the whole animal. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by such a small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies that pollutes the whole body and sets the course of life on fire and is set on fire by hell. Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. So James opens up chapter 3 with this warning for teachers. And if this seems like an odd aside and kind of where the flow of thought is happening uh, in the book, that's because we're viewing scripture out of the context in, with, in which it was written. Uh, we don't see what James saw. He is writing to his community, writing to these people, talking about how certain people should not become teachers. Well, if we think about, again, the context in which we're being, uh, that was happening here, especially in context not only historically but literary, where we came out of talking about faith and works, um, who are the people who need to be the most wary of having a dead faith? Who are the people that need to make sure they have a controlled tongue? Teachers of the word. Again, looking kind of at the context of what's happening here uh, within the community, there are several different people within the community of faith that James is writing to who are charismatic leaders. They were able to draw great crowds by their teaching, but again, their actions became inconsistent with the word of God that they taught. And as they did this, it began to hurt the church, hurt the community. And so James here in love is warning that uh, there will be judgment to those who teach that people should not become teachers because there is a greater judgment. First, by the people who are under them, that if you uh, lead them astray, they will be judging in that way. But more importantly, judgment by God is that there will be an accountability for every person who teaches the Word of God. Now, the question being asked here that, that we need to answer also is, who are the teachers? 
today, as we look into it today, uh, pastors, Bible professors, Sunday school teachers like me, sure, those are teachers of the word and there uh, will be judgment on the way that they teach. But also, we cannot uh, lessen the fact that you are also a teacher to those around you who don't know Christ or maybe young in their faith and they aren't at the place that you are in your faith. The way that you live what James would call an alive faith is a sermon to the world. And the question being asked is, is the sermon of, to the world that your life is living, is it consistent with what you claim to believe? Brothers, some of you shouldn't become teachers because there's going to be a greater judgment. You and I will be held accountable with how we live our lives and how we teach people around us the love of Christ. And then James here moves into verse 2 and gives us a really great definition of maturity that really is going to inform the rest of today's discourse of what we talk about. And the definition he gives is this, maturity is the one who does not stumble in what he says. If words can be controlled, the rest of the body can be controlled as well. What we see here really is also a chain of command that happens where, um, where things come out of in our lives. The tongue, what we say, comes from our mind. We don't just speak off of the cuff. Even people who say, I didn't think about what I said. It's not exactly true. We do premeditate on things that we are going to say. What comes out of our mouth comes from our mind. What comes from our mind comes from our heart. Where our heart is will show by what we say. This is consistent with James's half-brother Jesus' teaching. We see in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure in his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The tongue is controlled by the mind, which is controlled by the heart. Where your heart lies will be revealed by the way you talk to people, the way that you talk to yourself the way that you communicate with the world around you. What I love about James is that he doesn't just drop truth like this and then leave it for us to meditate on and think about and contemplate, but he continues to unwrap it by giving us really strong metaphors to be able to unpack. And that's what we see here in verses 3 through 6, as he gives two uh, main categories of metaphors uh, that are important for us to know. First, he talks about uh, the bit that we put into the mouths of horses. The bit you put into the mouth and you can pull on the reins and direct a horse in the way that you want to go. Um, this is the beginning of what we call a metaphor of direction. The bit is put into the mouth of the horse to direct the horse where you want to go. The bit controls the path of the horse. So the tongue, like the bit, controls the path that our lives go down. The way that you communicate the people, the way that you talk to people, the words that you choose will communicate where your heart is, and from there, it will direct how your life will go. If you are rude, if you are inconsiderate to people, your direction's maybe going to not be the best. If you are polite, if you uplift people, if you encourage people, if you bless people the way that Jesus did, 
then you will see flourishing in your life through uh, a lot of times the fruit of the Spirit, just uh, the overwhelming peace and joy that you'd be able to experience in the way that you communicate. The second metaphor of direction that James gives is the idea of the rudder. I can imagine that James spent so much time sitting out on the Sea of Galilee and watching these ships go through all of these storms, and yet through all the wind and the waves and the powerful forces against the ship, just by the small turning of a rudder, the ship was able to navigate to safety. The rudder determines the ship's ability to overcome obstacles. For us, our tongue determines our ability to overcome obstacles. So much pain in our lives is given with how we talk. If we slip up and say something we don't really want to say, a lot of times what happens is that we enter into obstacles and uh, consequences that we don't want to go through. The tongue determines our direction. A really good example of uh, the idea of a metaphor of direction that I can give is I remember when I was in fourth grade, uh, I had just learned the phrase, that's my name, don't wear it out. And I thought it was genius. I thought it was clever. It was just the right amount of sarcasm, uh, that it wasn't too hurtful. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I love this. I want to use this sometime. Um, so fast forward to one day, I was in class, I was in reading class, and um, we were sitting there doing worksheets, and all of a sudden, my teacher calls out my name, she asked me to come to her desk, and so she says, Kyle, and after she says my name, I uh, decide, this is my moment, I'm going to use it, I'm going to respond, I have no idea what was going on in my mind at the time, but I decided to use it, and uh, so she says, Kyle, and I say, that's my name, don't wear it out. And the whole class went silent, and my teacher got up from her desk. She walked over to mine, placed her hands on my desk, and looked at me in the eye and said, Excuse me? What did you say? And I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know where that came from. Uh, what do you need? Anyway, so yeah, I got in trouble that day, and uh, really what we see is that my not respecting my teacher, my deciding to give a sarcastic quip, uh, put a direction towards consequences. Our tongues, the way we speak and communicate, uh, will have a direction to what happens next. Um, aside from the metaphors of direction, there's also a main metaphor of destruction. And what James talks about is a small fire that... Uh, the tongue is like this small fire that just by the smallest little bit of flicker, an entire forest could be burned down. Uh, it has the ability to grow into something greater, stronger, and more destructive, and the tongue is the exact same way. If we don't keep it in check, if we don't surrender it over to God, the tongue has the ability to grow to something greater, stronger, and more destructive. James, as we've talked about the past couple weeks, was highly influenced by uh, the book of Proverbs. And we, I think we can see that here, especially in chapter 3. I mean, listen to some of the way that uh, Proverbs talks about the tongue. Proverbs 15.4, A gentle tongue is the tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Pro Proverbs 21.23, uh, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Should have learned that when I was in fourth grade. Uh, Proverbs 18.21, life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The tongue, unlike other parts of the body, has the ability to create lasting 
damage. If I were to come up to you and make a fist and punch you in the arm, you might bruise, but within a couple days, it's going to be gone. Probably within the first hour of me punching you, you probably won't notice the bruise anymore. I'm, I'm kind of a scrawny guy, um, not really that strong, so you probably won't notice it for very long. However, if I can verbally tear you down in a way that I know will hurt you and damage you, those wounds can last your entire life. The tongue is one of the parts of the body, really, I believe, the only part of the body that can really last uh, in types of damage that occur within the mind and heart. And what we see here is this leads us to the meat of what James is getting at. Why is controlling the tongue so important? Because there's a great evil within our hearts that begins to pour out of our mouths. That's what we see here at the end of this bit of chapter, uh, or this passage, uh, James chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Let's read that again real quick, because I want to kind of camp here for a couple seconds. Every sea creature... Reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. We praise our Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out bitter and sweet water from the same source? Can a fig tree... Produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Our cultural mandate given by God at the beginning of time was to rule the earth and subdue it, to be fruitful and multiply, and we can see that we've done this well. There's really hardly any animal on earth that you couldn't have a pet if you really wanted to have it. Uh, For me, I would love to have a pet raccoon. I know that's not smart because they can be mean, uh, but, you know, we, you can look out on Instagram and different uh, social media sites. People have pet raccoons. People have pet tigers. There's no animal that we can't really subdue and um, domesticate. Yet, The only animal that we can't seem to control is ourselves, specifically the tongue. If you think I'm wrong, just tell a two-year-old not to say something. Because so many times in my life when I remember looking and talking to uh, my niece who is now uh, four years old, uh, when she was young and she was two and she was learning how to speak, if you told her, hey, no, don't say that, she would say it louder. She would say it more often. This is embedded within the human nature and our sinful selves. But we can't tame the tongue. And James here says that the reason why is our tongue is filled with a deadly poison. What is this deadly poison? It's the duality of the tongue. It is the dual nature of the tongue. We praise God, yet at the same time we curse men. We glorify our Father, yet we scorn his children. James here unpacks this by giving us two more metaphors and helps explain a little bit of what he's getting at. Uh, He talks about water flowing from a spring, good water and bad water. If good and bad water flow from the same place, it's all going to be bad. If you uh, pick up a cup and you pour uh, some water into it, if it's good and bad, it's going to taste more like bad than good. You can't have it both ways. If you tear down people by your speech or lack of speech, then you are doing the same thing to God. 
The second metaphor he talks about is plants, that uh, a uh, fig tree is not going to produce olives, a grapevine is not going to produce figs. A plant is not going to produce anything other than what was it was designed to produce. What you produce from your mouth shows where your heart lays. A fig producing olives is out of character. It's out of character. It's out of its design. A fig tree is not supposed to do that. Destructive language is not within the character and design of the children of God. And so when we do that, when we act, when we speak to people in ways that is not uplifting, that is not encouraging, that is not representative of where our heart is supposed to lie and in line with what we say that we believe, we're acting out of character. We're acting out of who we are supposed to be. And that's how James kind of begins to wrap this idea up, is that we can't have it both ways. We can't just talk good sometimes and then talk bad even less. No, the bad taints the good. We can't speak poorly of other people, gossip, tear people down, because that's also not in the design of who we are supposed to be. I love what one commentator says about this patch, passage and also uh, kind of about the book of James in general. He says this, uh, to the person who speaks praise to God in the worship service, but then abuses people verbally at home or at work, James would command, purify your speech through this week. To the person who says, oh, I know I talk too much, and then they laugh it off, James isn't amused. He insists, be quick to listen and slow to speak. The person who boasts, I always speak my mind no matter who gets hurt, James isn't impressed. Rather, he would command, discipline your speaking. The person who had said, oh, I know I gossip too much, but I just can't help it. James would require, control your tongue. Of the person who is in the habit of speaking with insults, ridicule, or sarcasm, James demands, change your speech habits. James expects discipline to be happening in the life of a Christian. Any Christian can ask for the grace needed to be obedient. For God gives good gifts. That's what we see in chapter 1, verse 17. And he also gives them generously. Chapter 1, verse 5. There is then no justification for corrupt habits of speech in our churches today. So what do we do with this? What do we take away from the beginning of James chapter 3 talking about the tongue? First, the only way to control the tongue is by surrendering the heart. For the heart gives the mind its thoughts, which fuel the words from the mouth. It's the only way to do it. If you want to be able to control your tongue, if you want to make sure that uh, you're, the way you speak is glorifying to God and is consistent with what you say that you believe, you need to surrender every part of your heart. Our speech toward everyone must be consistent with how we view God. As we love God, we learn to love our neighbor. As we learn to love our neighbor, we learn to love God. And so what's happening here in the text is all of this seems to be pointing us in one direction. If the tongue can be controlled by the mind and heart, then the question begs to be asked, how do we control the mind and heart? Well, I'm so glad that you asked that question. 
that is where the book of James is about to take us. And so uh, we're going to cover that next week. And so I hope that you'll join us and uh, we will begin to unpack the rest of James chapter 3 and beginning in verse uh, chapter 4 next week. And so uh, we hope to see you then.